Good morning, and this is Dr. Kim Lannon. I'm with Game Face Sport Consulting. This is my very first podcast coming out to you. I am a licensed clinical psychologist and sports psychologist, and I do lots of subspecialties, and I'm basically here to start talking to people about better health and wellness and living your best life and do a little bit different kind of podcast than most people do, which is very serious and <laughs> <laughs> and very, you know, over the top and very technical and yes. kind of getting... Especially more... in this subject area. Yeah, because yeah. there's so many really great topics to talk about that you have to have some levity about and also have some important technical pieces too, but you don't really have to be always so serious. Right. So, and, and it gives sort of the world of psychology a bad name because everyone says it's, you know, you've got to see a shrink because something's wrong or something's bad. But in fact, there's actually some really great things you can do without having to go there. Right. And people, when you said shrink, yeah. And when you say psychologist, a therapist, people conjure up that thing. It, they do. It's the guy in the blazer with yep. the uh, eyeglasses down, yeah. and he's got the notepad, and, and you're laying pipe. on the couch. And the pipe. Yeah. And the pipe, a little Freud. Not the way it works. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and there are some traditional therapists that are still doing that, but, you know, more and more yeah. contemporary. There's, you know, that kind of continuum of um, life coach and guide and yeah. and different types of uh ways of looking at how to do therapy these days. And so I bring to the table all the traditional training, but also the the background of knowing that if you're not looking for a solution and you're just having people sit on your couch kind of doing the same thing over and over with no progress, right. that's old school. And so I'm more invested in kind of getting people to yeah. live their best life. I've never done a male therapist. You what? I've never had a male therapist. Oh, really? Always female. Oh, is that a preference? Yes. All right. Well, so most people most people do have a preference. Mm-hmm. Some people don't care, but it's more and more that people have a preference based on a variety of issues from their background or yeah. just their comfortability. Sometimes people who have had trauma with one gender over another. It just oh, depends. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and some people find it easier to talk to a certain gender based on what they experience. Yeah. So, um, so what I thought I would talk about today is what types of things bring people in to see me or don't bring people in to see me because they don't want to come in and talk about it because they think it's kind of the norm and the run of the mill everyday stuff. Well, we're early though, but let me hit you with something. First of all, talk a little bit about uh, Game Face Sports Consulting and and introduce who you are and your background, where you come from and what you're doing. So So Game Face Sport Consulting came around because I was a gymnast with the U.S. Women's National Junior Elite Team Mm -hmm. back in the day, and that's how it started. And um, when I was 11 years old, I knew I wanted to be a clinical and sports psychologist. At 11? At 11. Really? I know. Everyone says, at 11? (laughs) I did, because when I was 11 years old, I actually moved away from my home in Vermont and lived in Oregon with the national team. Um, oh, it's basically and the same moved state. Away f- and moved away from my family. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and it was it was yeah. a big deal. Yeah. And I did very well in terms of psychology of it, but we had a sports psychologist, actually one that's still here in Massachusetts and still alive, but he's retired, that I knew very well, and he worked with the team. And, and it was just fascinating to me that all these girls were coming together and living in Oregon from Australia and uh, France and all over this country. And we were all coming together for the same purpose, but we were all under the age of 16, essentially. Right. And it was just fascinating. So that's kind of where it started from for me. And then I, and then in addition to that were all the positives. There were a lot of negatives where there was a lot of stress in the sport um, for a variety of reasons of eating disorders and just mental right. mental strain and the pressures put on us for what we were doing, what what we weren't doing, how we were doing it. Um, you know, I mean, there's certainly uh, lots to be said for people who 
are in elite level and Olympic level athletics. That was pretty mainstream in Olympic athletics and elite uh, young athletics. But it's only become more mainstream in professional athletics in the last, what, five or ten years? Probably, I would say, say within the last decade. Definitely more in the last five years because that's where my business has definitely increased in the last five years. The need for it, and most people have or the teams in the country have sports psychologists or consultants or like myself, I do consulting on the outside teams bring me in or I work individually with clients within the team, you know, depending on if it's a pro team or an Olympic level team or whatever, as well as recreational athletes on their way up the ladder. And that's much more probably in the last five years than it was back when I was doing this in the uh, eighties and nineties date myself (laughs) but but what's interesting about this is i tell everybody all the time when i've done this work for myself personally i keep thinking because i was an athlete and i was a pretty enthusiastic athlete i was good at it and worked at it and was very intense about it i had all the principles that i have now as an athlete and couldn't bring them over to real life that's so that's one of the big problems and i would necessarily as an athlete i practice all this stuff i knew all this stuff but i couldn't apply it to real applying and the the transitioning over because people oftentimes don't think that they're together and that's why in my practice that's a a big piece of why i think my clients like me is i i actually always start out saying whatever i'm teaching you for this for the sport aspect or whatever i'm teaching you this for the life they go together they always transition over they always cross over and people come to the table even now, and you're not alone, that it's sport, job, family. It's not. Yeah. Everything, all same lessons, all across the board yeah. apply generally. But the, and it the just secret works. was I was more confident of myself and liked myself better as an athlete right. than I did as a person. Right. Which and is what made it difficult to apply those. What made it difficult to apply those? The fact that I didn't oh, have the same opinion of myself right. in everyday life as I had as an athlete. It's kind of like when people go to work, they feel really confident in what they're doing at work because right. they know their business, they know whatever right. it is they're doing, and then they go home and relationally or with their family or whatever, they fall apart because exactly. they don't have the same skill confidence level. Yep. And, and oftentimes because they don't have the same skill level. And so they know it, but it just comes out in that lower self-esteem piece. But right. their work is what gives them that or, or vice versa. Depends. You know, people are really strong at being family and then go to work and fall apart because they don't have the confidence or they think they're less than all the other people they're working with. So, so game face sports consulting. If people want to find out more right away, yes. If they want to find out more, they can go to my website is gamefacesportconsulting.com. And it because of this, I'm actually doing a little bit of reconstruction on the website. So mm-hmm. when you go, it's it's basically seventy percent done because it's being reconfigured yep. around this. So, um, but certainly my information's there, and you can see what I do. And you can contact me through there, or you can contact me on email at kim dot l a n n o n at yahoo.com. Or you can call me or text me at (laughs) my office number, which Uh, is on the bottom. Okay, so talking about people who could benefit from therapy. Yes. uh, I know you want to do 15 minutes of it. I could do it in one word, everyone. Yes. (laughs) But, okay, talk about people people who could benefit from therapy. Well, you just said it. Everyone. 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 (laughs) I think everyone should have somebody that's not a family member or friend that you talk to. Whether you pay them, whether it's on pro bono, whether it's, I mean, you have to have some confidant that is not going to give you what you want to hear right. necessarily. Somebody is going to see it from the outside, observe, and give you an objective 
opinion that's not necessarily going to always be sugar-coated to your favor. <laughs> right. So, that, you know, and sometimes it will be, but I think that everyone needs that because it's, um, I, I often say this to clients, the most independent people depend on others to help them with these things. Yeah. And that's not the same thing as being codependent or needing, you know, have your committee to verify everything that you're doing in your head to make sure you're okay doing it. It's more that you have to have a team even if it's one or two people to just say, hey, I really need to know what you think about this and give me your honest feedback and be willing to take it. And a lot of people don't come yeah. for assistance because they don't want to hear what they don't want to hear. For me, therapy is, and I've kept doing it, I, I'm in a good place. I don't have any particularly, I don't have any particularly strong problems, but I do it because I can sit down and talk to somebody right. at a certain level. In right. other words, um, you're bothered by stuff. You're bothered about your mind right. talking with you. And when you're talking with friends and your support group, it's pretty much the same thing. Right. They're giving you the same type of emotional reactions. They're not getting into, you know, they're not separating you from it. Right. And giving you the tools to deal with it, just kind of echoing what you think and feel already. Right. So there's a benefit in, in the group or in the aspect of sharing with your peers of the same yep. mind because you're having the shared experience. You're having a cohesive bond with people that are sharing universal you know, a universal shared experience with you, yeah. which is not the same as sitting with someone who's going to give you a multi-level perspective of, you know, hey, have you looked at it this way? Right. Have you looked at it that way? Yeah. Your peers aren't going to say that. They're going to say, oh, yeah, I get that. I've been there. I've done that, which is a great benefit, certainly. Yeah. Um, certainly that's and what, you know, all the groups, huge. the support yeah. groups are based yeah. on, A-A-N-A-S-A, all the A's. <laughs> yeah. They're all based on that peer bond. But, you know, you need that extra, sometimes people need that extra generation of perspective and i think you mentioned that my favorite therapists were the ones who didn't let me get away with anything right yeah and that's why yeah. so n not to toot my own horn but i will i often have clients will say oh i've been to other therapists who never said that never got there yeah. we didn't do that that's why i left them because they weren't doing that and i love this and and i have people that have been with me for 15 20 years yeah i've been doing this for 24 years yeah yeah <laughs> i mean I verbally spar with people. It's kind of my profession. Yeah. It's what I do. So I can get away with it with a lot yeah. of people, therapists. That my The better ones didn't let me. Right. It's like, well, you say that, but... But that's not really what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, don't, that, don't play that game and that with makes, me. It, yeah. makes you, it makes you move. It may, yeah. I mean, what's the point of coming in to see someone to really do anything if you're not really wanting to move? Right. If you're sitting in the office and you want to be there, why not do the work? But there are people that don't do the work because that's it's hard. It's mm -hmm. painful. Um, people don't agree with them, you know, their own self when they hear it because <laughs> that's not what they want to hear. Right. But but by and large, I've seen a shift in all these years. I was just saying how long I've been doing this. I've seen a shift over the two decades plus that I've been doing this of people that really want to do the work more than they did before because it's the stigmas come away a little bit. Yeah. Not all, but it's it's easier, um, more accepted, um, and I think people are. I think problems now, there's always been problems, but I think there's such a multi-level layer of problems for people based on social cultural issues, money, yeah. job requirements. I think it's just changed in the, in the time and social media and all this stuff. I think that it's um, become much more acceptable, much more attainable, much more approachable, um, and people are much more in need because there's so many things going on in people's lives. Than there were before. It's not as easy as it was when I I grew up. I think it was a little bit easier because right. we didn't have all this stuff. Even though there were pressures, I grew up with pressure. But if I grew up now, I think it would be very different. I watch kids in my life, and I thought, oh, 
I'm glad I grew up when I grew up because it's not the same. Girls have everything much harder, much earlier yeah. than in the past. For guys, too, guys, it wasn't acceptable to ask for help. Right. You just, you know, you know just, right. well, the, just the managing, deal with it, you know, rub yeah. some dirt on it and keep going. Well, yeah. and the managing way for guys was, you know, throw yourself into work. If you're, you know, as you're coming up through, find another way to do it. Yep. Get into fights, channel yeah. it through alcohol, drugs, yep. um, sports, um, you know, things that were, some things were healthy, but I mean, the general old school kind of thing, which is still out there is, you know, stuff it for men, you know, Man push it down. Don't yeah. talk about it. There's no crying. You know, there's no crying in the locker right. room. Yeah. Right? Or, you know, it's especially like our age, well, we're not the same age. I'm older than you. But with my parents, it was like it was the man up thing. Yeah. If I went to them for advice or I went to elders for advice, it was like, well, welcome to life, kid. Right. And that was the extent of it. Right. Well, the tough love, the yeah. uh, the extra tough love without any compassion. Yeah. And so we know so we know now in psychology and it's gotten better and you see it in school systems now and you see it in a lot of parenting and you see it in most self-help books for parenting now that the best way to bring up kids, especially um the changing from the old school on boys is is parenting with like a high level of expectation while giving appropriate healthy praise now that could yep. look like you know a lot of different things but it certainly isn't man up suck it up no. <laughs> that's not the that's not the message because then it ends up becoming down the chute of people landing in my office long term for yep. low self-esteem issues or alcohol and drug issues because they had that disconnect from right. being able to communicate but kids rise or fall to expectations. It's good to set a bar for them. Right. They're, they'll try to meet it, and you don't land on them when they don't. Right. You help them. Right. Yeah. Right. You, you adjust the bar. If you're too high, they're going to fail. If it's too low, right. then they... Then I mean, they, yeah, you don't right. make it impossible. But. And, and then you have those extremes, which I... That's, see, in my office, I see that a lot. Either the bar set really high or there's no bar. Yeah. And my job often is to... Well, it's kids in that is to adjust the bar for the parents. It's usually pretty successful, but you have the anomalies on the board where mm -hmm. <laughs> people are resistant and they don't want to move the bar because... They, they want the kid to meet them where they're at versus yep. them to meet the kid. And that just, you know, psychologically isn't usually the best thing. How young do you work? You what? How young do you work? I, I only go to six years old mm -hmm. because I have found that, um, <laughs> and people do, you and know, I'm, I'm kind of two, surprised three, by four, that, and actually. five. Yeah. So six years old, um, and usually I keep my sessions only 30 minutes for six-year-olds sure. um, unless their superstar can hold their attention because the attention span is very short. Right, yeah. And, and uh, I find them, like, you know, doing barrel rolls across my rug. <laughs> I have one kid for years that would come in. He's older now when he doesn't do this. But he would come in and he would do a headstand. Rudy. He'd come in and he would assume a headstand on my couch. And he'd spend the whole session upside down the whole time. He And then as soon as it was over, he'd come down. He'd get, I have chocolate in my office. You oh, get yeah. chocolate when you leave. Yep. So he, he'd get his chocolate and that would be it. But he wouldn't talk about anything unless he was upside down inverted in a headstand on my couch. Yeah. So yeah. that, well, whatever. and he would do 45 minutes. So that was good. As long as it's working. Exactly. Yeah. And he's, and, and he still sees me for maintenance now and he's in college, <laughs> but he doesn't stand in headstands anymore. <laughs> Okay, so tell me also about, and I don't, if I'm getting you off track. Oh, you're okay. I'm sorry. That's uh, okay. I have two kids. Uh -huh. I have a 24-year-old girl and a 20-year-old son. Okay. And dating someone now is a 14-year-old girl, and I'm just seeing the difference in 10 years between what she's facing, what she's got on her plate, and what my daughter faced. And I don't know, maybe it was, maybe it was the upbringing, maybe it was a specific situation, whatever, but it seems like the world has changed a lot in the past 10 years. 
It, and it has. For and teenagers. I, and, and I think, so there's a variety of things, and, you know, people want to jump on the bandwagon often about it's social media, it's social media, it's social media. I mean, it is, I think social media is a big change, huge, and, mm-hmm. and you can't deny that. So I think that is a big thing. I think that the the disconnect of how much technology, so uh, technology connects us so amazingly across right. the world and everything but it also disconnects us. So the changes in pressure, the change in what happens, the face-to-face on on us talking versus right. being able to talk on the phone and looking down, it's such a different world that you and I grew up in or even, you know, and that's only a short, you know, distance between what we're talking about right now. It really is, even right. though, you know, we say we're old. But, well, you know. <laughs> kind of, I'm old. I'm um, not old. I'm um, old. But, but we didn't have that. And, there, and so the connection, connection between people is what I find. Both, well, that's changed. Know. That's the last 10 years I talked about. Yeah. The only reason I'm on Facebook is because my daughter went on Facebook. Right. When she was young. And I said, well, I got to be. I got to be on. I got to be a friend. I got to be on top of it. Right. You know, type. So it was relatively wasn't new by any stretch of the imagination ten years ago, but for me it was. Right. And it's obviously three year old. Everyone's got a Facebook page now, and everyone, all the kids have a cell phone. Right. And it was kind of a for us at the time because my our kids were going to school out of district. It's like no, they're going to have a cell phone. Right. Because they got to get me when they need to get me. Right. For whatever reason. And that's and that's something I hear all the time with parents that come in. They ask me, you know, they'll have a nine or ten year old and they'll say, my child wants an iPhone. And well, no, you know, <laughs> not an iPhone. <laughs> yeah. And and so, yeah. you know, there's lots of different ways to go around. it. It's more in the in the effort that, OK, they want an iPhone because they have friends that have it because they want to be on like TikTok and Snapchat right. and all these things which do have age limits. But, you know, there's there's a variety of ways to give your child what they want without going over into the inappropriate age usage of them which unfortunately a lot of parents you know the bar that's low a lot of permissive indulgent parents are just like okay they give it and then it goes right to the bar low and then you know the kids are on everything and they're 10 and then they have they lose control of that and that's a big piece to go to the answer that i was giving you about in the past 10 years is if you don't have certain parenting style to watch for that once you open that door this, the the mental health issues, I mean, there's no, you know, the behavioral health issues, that's what I should say. It's really yep. a behavioral health issue. The behavior's changing kids because now there's not a lot of monitoring. They're getting exposed to way more than typical kids would be doing if they weren't doing that, which, you know, is all well and good, but it has to have some kind of containment and understanding right. and explanation. Um, and the, I would say, I wouldn't put a percentage on it, but it's a higher percentage of parents that don't jump in and really watch, or they say no, they are, yeah. but they're really not. And the kids are getting exposed to a no. lot of things that are... We knew all the passwords. We had passwords to everything. I remember one of the first lessons with my daughter is I was following her Facebook page. Mm. I think it was the first year. And she's, again, she's 45 minutes out of district and away from me. And she's on there posting where she is constantly. And I guess you're just... Geotag. No geotags. Yeah. yeah, No. Anyone can follow that and and see where you are. You know, be careful about what you're doing. Be careful about what you're putting out there because it's public. Well, it's interesting because I just had a client that that is actually, so she's a, 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 I would say, a semi-famous performer in the office the other day. And we were talking about how she had, she had posted up something on her Instagram and she had tagged where she was in it but wasn't thinking and she said within 10 minutes a whole bunch of guys showed up yeah and said oh my god are you so and so and and she was like i can't she i can't live my normal life because she she tagged herself right. and and then it just dawned on her the safety issue and all these things that you you wouldn't typically think you'd have to 
be aware of. But yeah. and I just had that happen the but other day. But it doesn't day. have it doesn't have to be that overt. You see, you're on Facebook with friends. I know where they are. Right. I know that restaurant. That restaurant or yeah. that right. I know where they are. I can see that. Yeah. All right. So <clears throat> yes, adults typical for people who haven't been in therapy. Yeah. Who are just sitting there? They're in there. You know, let's let's build a model mid thirties. And it's just like, man, I'm just stressed out. Family life is so hard. I got two young kids. The job, boss is on my back all the time. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just not handling this well. At the point, what point do you tell them? I guess we've kind of pre-answered the question, but at what point do you tell them? Yeah, you could use some therapy, just just to be just to get some tools to be able to work through what you're facing right now. Well, I'm I'm always of the mind to tell people to preemptively strike, mm-hmm. but. You know, in the perfect world. Yeah. Um, but it, it, usually when a person is, you know, the pain, the emotional pain or a physical pain has to be great enough in causing the person discomfort, either in money, health, their relationships or yeah. something is to then if it's it's changing your functionality in some way or, you know, you're you're missing work or you're not paying certain bills or you've disconnected from your family or there's something that's happening that's so painful to an extent, it should be motivating enough to say, I think I need help with this. Right. Um, and then that's the key to the awareness to do it. But then it's then it's the then taking the step out. How do you do that? Because then you get all the the um, the biases of, well, I can do this myself. I don't really need help. This is yeah. weak. Why do I need? You know, those are the th- those are the next things to bypass. And it's really about just saying, yeah. You know, you don't have to go for, in, uh, going back to the beginning of our, our podcast is you don't have to go in and lay on the couch and, and, you know, free associate like you would with Freud. Yeah. This is about going in and saying, hey, I'm struggling with this. And you may only do six sessions with someone and fix it or have the solution. Or you may find, wow, like you said, I go in and talk to someone just to be able to put it out there and get some yeah. ideas and whatever. And that's what usually people find it to be. It's But it's getting past that stigma or that negative mindset or that bias that says oh what will people think or yeah you have these feelings and you you can't tell them to anybody or express them because what will people think Think. i'm not supposed to be thinking that right i you know people will be hurt if i say that you go into therapy and and you just say it and and let it go and deal with it and you know einstein's definition of insanity doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results or uh, our problems can't be solved yeah. at the level of thinking at which we create at, at which they were created. Right. You got to and, and get and, that other tool. And that's so that's the way I do therapy and the way I work with people is it's not to sit and pick your brain to psychoanalyze you all day. It's yeah. about how to generate two or three more alternatives to what you've been doing that hasn't been working because yeah. people usually when they get to me they're so stuck. So you're not a how is your relationship with your mother? Well, so, so you have so, but that's part uh, of it. That's part of it. Yeah, because I have to know the history of you mm-hmm. to know what technique that would best match you based on the history, and that doesn't mean it's your mother's fault or your no. father's fault or you know what. But that's the that's that kind of stigma that comes with therapy is that we blame the parents. We yeah. no, we we understand the whole upbringing, whoever the family was, whoever the school system was, whatever the thing that impacted the child that now is the adult or whatever they are in between, so that then I can put together the right plan for the right solution or Mm -hmm. the best one for that moment to see if it will make some difference in the person's life. So sometimes understanding, you know, what mom or dad did is super important. And sometimes 
it's not. Um, but it's not about blame. It's about understanding the mechanism. It's it's understanding it's understanding what the dynamic is that happened then in your childhood to then bring it forward because, and you can look at this up in research too, but anecdotally, nine times out of 10, I would almost say 10 times out of 10, the person sitting in front of me is repeating exactly what happened when they were six and 10 with their relationship or their friendships or yep. their job. That's just a, it's just a parallel right through and sometimes just an overlapping yep. thing. And when you start untangling that and say, Hey, did you ever realize that that's what's happening or that this is like what happened with your mom or your dad? You know, that's not blaming. That's just saying, Oh, uh, yeah. I can now untangle that. Cause I don't have to do that. But a lot of people can't see it until they step back where I can say, Ooh, look at that from here. I tell, I tell the story all the time because it's relatively mild. So I can tell it. My mother, my mother used to get up on Saturday morning and she'd start cleaning the house and she hated cleaning the house. So by the time she was through with it, she'd be in a rage, she'd be <laughs> incredibly angry. And there was a point in my marriage at the time where I would start to get tense when the vacuum cleaner started. Yeah. And it's like, it just, it just hit me. I would walk up and say, no, I'll do that. Right. You know, because that's what I did as a kid because right. I knew it was coming because I thought everybody got upset when they were running the vacuum. Because you do what you know, and yep. you, you're used to that. You assumed and you associated Everyone that, oh, the vacuum cleaning. cleaner's yeah. going to, the next thing that follows is mom's screaming or mom's right. raging. Yep. So it's going to happen with my wife. So no, I'll take care of that. You know, you you, you do that self-survival, but it's just a trigger. That's all it right. is. And you know, once you're aware of it, you go, oh, okay. No, you go ahead, vacuum. <laughs> but, pe- but people go through life yeah. having all those triggers around them right. and just doing life with all that stress and then never bother to do anything about it because there's so many of those going on, those know. type of triggers. It's, yeah, it, exactly. You do what you know, you mm-hmm. know, you raised in an abusive environment. You think abuse is normal. You're raised in, you know, right. You, yep. you raised in an alcoholic home, alcohol around you and drinking is normal. You're raised in like a perfect, you know, nobody fights home when that's impossible. Like yep. something has to, there's something else. That's what you know. So when you get into a relationship and there's a fight, you, you get all scared. I mean, absolutely all those things play out, but people oftentimes aren't aware. I mean, I get people in the office all the time and I say, so what are you thinking about that? Or what does that make you feel? And they say either I'm not thinking about anything, which is never true, right. or it doesn't bring up anything for me, or yeah. I don't feel anything. Not true. All not true. But it's because they're so used to just this is no- this is normal, right? right? This is fine. Yeah. This is this isn't this your life? <laughs> so you're dealing with this. You have all these reactions, all these cycles, and then you meet somebody, right? And you get into a relationship, and they've got a whole different perspective, right? And what they say, how they react to something, like you know, my ex-wife would look at me. You want a vacuum? What are you nuts? She had no, that wasn't part of her thinking, right? But it was because she's was coming with her to me, her normal, yeah. Your normal and her normal are coming together, and uh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> because you come from different worlds, you're swimming right. in different waters, and so you have to reconcile that. And right. it's really hard to deal with it when some some of the stuff is so ingrained. So, right, I guess. And let me make this statement: you can dispute it if you think it's wrong. Part of therapy is awareness. Just yes. making you aware of all the stuff that's going on because awareness is the first step in dealing with it. Yes. So it's as cliche as that sounds. It, it really is. It's mm-hmm. if you're not aware and you can't get to. <clears throat> like as soon as I became aware of, oh, that's why. Yeah. I'm nervous. Right. And that's, and that's why yeah. the history of someone is so important because mm-hmm. you can relate that. Oh, yeah, it's the aha moments when people have yeah. that awareness of, oh, 
because yeah. it's relieving because all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm not crazy or I'm not I, I wasn't wrong or I have been validated in that experience because that's not normal or whatever. Yep. But yeah, awareness is number one. And, and, you know, people have awareness to a certain level because, you know, especially when they if you're going into someone, obviously you have an awareness. Yep. If you're coming in to see me. You're aware that something's up. Yep. But oftentimes, more often than not, it's you don't aware you're not aware of how deep <laughs> yeah. it, it is. You know, it's insidious. And in, in the people I see, because I see I see a lot of um, addiction, people yeah. in recovery, um, you know, athletes who have multiple layers of, um, you know, fame, fortune, the pressures that have come up from childhood to be that as an adult, whatever their sport is. Um, and then I have you know just my very typical like everyday people are dealing with divorce and um yeah. marriage and death and and loss of pets and and they're all the same in terms of they all have their story and they have to be made aware of why they're feeling the way they're feeling and they just don't understand it and that's why they usually end up because they can't right. process it past the point that they've already gotten because that's where they've gotten that's it yeah you know and we and do. so helping it's like a, an extra layer of awareness that I bring to the table. Like, We do a couple addiction shows here. And yeah. on one of the shows we did yesterday, um, someone had asked in the comments, because if drugs are the answer, what's the question? And uh. the person who hosted the show, who is a recovering addict, didn't understand the whole premise. And I said, what they're saying is, the next step is, why are you taking the drug? You know, why are you addicted? Right. What's the, what's the question? And that's often totally difficult. And that's awareness. When you start saying I'm taking a drug because of this, the addiction has to be beaten. That's a whole separate issue. Right. But when you start after, after the recovery, when you start asking the question, why do I want this drug? And then the next question is, how is that going to help? Right. <laughs> what it is I'm really trying to fix. So so I so I teach at the co one of the colleges locally here, mm -hmm. and I teach in the addictions program for the the CADAC, you know, the Certificate for Counselors in Drug and yep. Alcohol Counseling. And one of the things that I talk about is that right out of the gate um, in the semester is addiction is not the problem; it's the symptom of the problem. Right. And people don't see that they you know if someone's drinking too much or drugging or both or gambling or too much sex or too much whatever yeah. it's that's the problem and we have to fix that and then do this other thing but it's actually always a dual diagnosis right? it's always dual diagnosis yeah. which people will be very you know controversial about like that's not true my experience tells me and and my experience tells me that it's always a dual diagnosis and the symptom of the problem is whatever the excess thing is and then looking at so you have to get that under control, certainly, because then you can't really do enough work if you don't. But right. people that come in and out of you know detox, rehab, detox, rehab, it's usually, in my experience, that they're not doing what is the real problem. Not addressing the cause. Right. Yeah. And in contemporary times... Um, it's, like, it's like going into a pool. You get off, dry off, but it's still hot out. Right. You exactly. go back in the pool. Right, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's about really looking at... Um, contemporarily like what we we know now as psychologists and psychiatry is that it's the lack of it's the lack of connection between people going yeah. you know sort of full circle it's the lack of interpersonal interrelated intimacy not sex but intimacy between two people that was somewhere stunted stilted whatever you want to say back somewhere in the life yep. that made a person go towards filling the void the space the empty with the thing and then that thing became the thing. Right. Right. And so um, when people can really get that grasp that 
okay, we've got it under control here, but we have to now do this and do some repair work, which you can't fix the past, but you certainly can get an understanding through awareness and manage it better in your head, then these right. two things start to settle. Anytime you've got a behavior or an outcome or a feeling that you don't want, as long as you can sit there and say, well, I know why this is happening, that's the first leg up. Right. As opposed to just immersing yourself in the feeling of behavior. You just understand, okay, I, this is why I feel this, or this is what's hurting me now. Right. Yeah. Right. Part of that is, um, and again, I may go sideways on this one too, but part of the work I've done recently is that it's, and I, the simplest way I can put it is, uh, the difference between saying I am angry and I feel angry. Right. And it's understanding that whatever your emotions are, whatever your mind is giving you, that's not you. Because too many people live right. in their mind, they live in their reactions, and they say, I'm really mad. No, yes. no, you feel mad. Right. And so that, that yeah. separate, and the intellect can get separate from that and t start to deal with it. And and I and to, so to your point that the that um, talk about with this with my clients and with people in my life and it's the semantic difference even though it's sort of can be annoying to some people because it does it's like oh well what's the big deal when you start talking I am versus I feel or mm -hmm. I think yep. the actual it's such a difference in the way your body responds physically like we talk about pain issues I you know I have this I have a back issue or I feel pain. The different words you use to describe things really changes the way the outcome can happen mentally because right. it all connects in. But that I feel, I feel sad, I feel happy. I, I mean, people often, I say, how do you feel? And they'll say, well, I think that. Yeah. <laughs> I say, no, 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 no. Yeah, I It's feel. I feel, I feel what? I, and I always say, and then I have to give examples. And it's not because people don't get it because they're not smart. It's because it's so used to, I think that if I, or I think that you, it's never, I feel it's, I feel sad. I feel happy. I feel excited. I feel worried. I feel, people don't do that on a natural day to day basis in life. It's, I think I feel that you, <laughs> I think I feel that you, Yeah. you know, getting that, the dialogue, getting that separation or the observer position is yeah. so, so important. I remember interviewing a woman she was doing chakras or something, but we were talking about it, and I made the mistake of saying, because I believed it at the time, well, it's what you feel. You can't change what you feel. She goes, oh, wait a minute. She goes, so you're standing on the sidewalk with your wife and your young child, and you guys are in a fight, and you're angry with each other, and you're going at it really hard, and all of a sudden you hear a brake squeal. What happens? You start looking for the kid. All of a sudden you, those emotions turn off, and right. you start making sure the kid is safe. Right. Right? You can change your emotions. Right. Your emotions aren't you getting in that position. If you want to do that separation, say, I feel angry, that gives you a separate person to change it. Right. As opposed to, um, I'm, I I'm, am angry. I am angry. Because it's like, it's, you're owning yeah. it as the onus of who you are. It's right. like someone that says, I am depressed versus I feel depressed. Right. I am an addict versus I'm in addiction or I have addiction. I have an addiction. It's yeah. not. I am, mm -hmm. you know, we are sons and daughters, but that's not the same thing as saying I am an addict or I am depressed or I am, I am is so much pressure. Yeah. I am a failure. I am stupid. I am, uh, you know, bad. I am not, not whatever right. that is. It's just such a, um, a mental gymnastics game in someone's head that has been go back to the history. That is usually a long running tape. That people aren't aware of in their head because it's become their that's what their norm is that I am 
Yeah. I am nothing. But if you say, I feel angry, I, right. you understand that your mind is your mind is telling you you're angry based on a set of circumstances. Yeah. Right. And right. that's not you. You're not angry. You feel angry. You, right. It's you, a moment. You feel what your mind is giving you and understanding that you have a little bit of control over your mind. Right. Hopefully. Right. And then, and that's yeah. where you, where you see when people don't have that, which is a lot of the time is that it that's where the impulsivity around those, especially negative right. feelings comes out because people feel like they don't have control over the feeling and then they act out on it in a variety of ways, as we right. know. So I, you know, I am angry turns into lots of different things. Yeah, you know? I am I am tense because the vacuum's going. No, right. I'm not tense. I feel tense because my history is things are going to get ugly right. once the vacuum starts going. I go, right. oh, so I have control over that all right. of a sudden. And it's understanding that it's it's the difference of a fish knowing it's in the ocean, right? Right. and Because and, 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 you swim and, in the ocean, they don't know the ocean exists. You're living in your mind. You're living in whatever your mind is telling you. Telling well, you. No, that's not, that's not you. Right. You're, you're back there observing what your mind is telling you right and that's yeah. hard for people it is very hard it's so hard it's for a people. hard concept and that's one of the that's one of the pieces that keeps people who don't come in my office from coming in that's because people that's a lot of work yeah you know and to do and it, it really isn't a lot of work but in people's heads to switch that you know it's like oh well that's just you know that's just silly it's just words it's cliche it doesn't really matter yeah, they think it's manipulation it yeah but it's and it's an aha moment, too, because there's a certain point where you just get it and go, oh, I understand now. Yeah, and because then you can catch yourself enough of the time when you're doing it to say, oh, there, there that thing is that I do, and I don't have to do that because I have an alternative now. Right. And, and providing that as an alternative or just giving a person relief enough that there's an alternative to that, you know, mm-hmm. and usually it's really, what is it? <laughs> yeah. And then if I can point it out, you know, usually I can, then they're like, that's when they're, oh, I didn't think of it that way. Yep. And that's usually the movement piece. And and people don't, you know, I mean, people don't get that. But, you know, there's a reason why people watch, you know, Oprah, Dr. Phil. They, they look for this, the thing I'm talking about without having to go into someone's office. That's why those things out there, you know, are so good. That's why doing something like this with you is so good because people that might not come in will get yeah. something from this. And it might bring them into an office somewhere or to me and say, I think I need help or I need a, I need that little aha moment or alternative because I'm not able to do it myself. Right. And a lot of it a lot of it is about control. A lot of it is people who are depressed and, and I've been there, depressed and angry or whatever. They that's lack of control. They don't right. understand how much they control the situation. Now, of course you can't change what other people are doing and you can't change external outcomes and things like that, but you right. can change your approach to it. Right. And how you, you change your perspective. It. Yeah. If you change and again, that's not, people are rolling their eyes, and that sounds like manipulation, and right. it sounds like but it's, but it's really changing your yeah. perception, and it's not and it's not being like you know sort of um, sugar coated in Pollyanna or you know hey you know it's right. oh that's so sweet. It's really about just changing a perspective that's realistic. You know, it's not about changing a perspective that's just sun, sunny rainbows, doggies, and, right. <laughs> and kitties. Yeah, exactly. It's about real perspective shift of the reality of what you're generating is actually real, realistic, reasonable. I, I use that in my practice, my three R's, that's what I call it. Re, if it's reasonable, realistic, and, and rational, and it can replace what you've yeah. been doing, let's go with that. Because, and you know, and, and, pe- and, and you can find such good information from just doing it that way because then you, you realize that what you've been doing yeah. isn't any of those things. Because most of the time people believe stuff that's no basis in reality. Right. Or well, minimal. That... there's a little seed of, of yeah. it. Or it's completely irrational because it's based on 
like the vacuum cleaner and the wife and the right. anger issue, you know, the trigger, or it's based on something completely unreasonable, like or it's such an extreme right. thought to have. Or if you're like me, you work out a thousand scenarios on how this is going to come out. I, I, what if, what if, what I if? I do this all the time where I'll say, I'm not going to call that person because I know how this conversation is going to go. And you don't really know how that conversation is no. going to go. The problem is for me is that I'm right too often to really ignore it. But but by the same token, you got to... So let, I won't answer when you call. <laughs> you got you to let that go. You know? Right. But no, I don't have the conversation because I know right. how it's going to work out. Right. But the basis there is thoughts are not facts. Right. And too many people live that whatever they right. think, whatever they feel, that's real. It's like, no, it's a fear. Right. It's more often than not a fear. It's the fear of the unknown of what you... Th- yeah. you you've generated what you think is going to happen and then it becomes the reality and then you avoid it which becomes procrastination, and then yep. you get so far down because the anticipatory anxiety that you've created is so bad that now you, you were supposed to call today, but now it's four weeks later, and you didn't. Now you've justified it in your head, and now it's too late, and right. now you're, yeah. <laughs> and this is very, this, this goes back beyond your parents. This is primal. Yeah. This is threat generation. Yes. Because the guys who thought there was a bear in the back of the cave, whether they were or not, were the people who survived. Those are right. our ancestors. Right. The people who didn't think there was a bear in the back of the cave got eaten. Right. Half the time. Yeah. You know, so it's I'm a huge threat generator. But again, I'm at the point now in my life where I'm aware of it. So when it starts to run away from me, I go, okay, that's just me doing my thing. It's probably not real. Right. And and so so my technique for that would always be and this is kind of a common technique for for most therapists. What's the worst thing that's going to happen if if in fact you generate that threat and it actually happens? Mm hmm. What's the worst thing that's going to happen? Oh, I can know? generate some good threats. Right. But but then the challenge is, well, what's what what is the fact of what's real, reasonable, and right. rational? Because what you generate, I usually will poke a hole in all over the place yep. because it's usually totally off the wall because it's just because our mind goes there to protect us in the survival yep. mode. And we're, we fear the unknown, so we're going to account for all the things, put our you know fingers in yep. all the damn holes, and oh! There's another one. We don't have anything left. And so now what are you going to do? And, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, did anyone die? No. Typically, no. You know, is anything, you know, nothing. You didn't spontaneously combust. I do that with kids. And they they laugh, (laughs) you know. I'm like, did you catch on fire? No. Right? Nothing bad happened. So, you know, know, kids with grades or something, you know, kids are like, I got a B plus. And, you know, you think that they're going to. I'm like, you know what? You're going to have a lot more grades in your lifetime. To not have to worry about that one B plus, yeah. you know, I mean, it's yeah. it's those small things or you know the bigger you're things. You're not working at Walmart because you got that B plus. You what? Which is, you're not working at Walmart because you got that B plus, which is how they extend it all, right? Right. Right. And it's it's not necessarily even just the big things like that that wear you down. Uh, yesterday, the boss put pokes his head in the door. He goes, "See me before you leave." And I'm threat generating because that's never good right. news, right? Right. Something bad's going to happen. Go to the principal's office. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm in trouble. And of course, I'm was, getting fired. It was nothing. Right. But, you know, I spent all that time worrying about it because I'm generating a threat. Right. Because this generally doesn't work out for me. So what's it going to be? So you think of the worst things possible. Mm-hmm. But that wears on you. If yeah. you're doing that constantly, it wears on you. Well, because your ability your body, to deal with it. So if we get technical with this, your body, when you do that, is constantly under um, fire. Right. So your 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 nerve endings and everything, like, I go into all the technicalities of this, but it's, your, your body's just yeah. going, 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 going. Yeah. So you're never able to relax so you're training your body and your mind your actual brain circuitry to be in that mode and never let down so that when you do it goes into the i don't know how to be like that so i've got to find something to be chaotic about to bring it back to the level i'm used to and so when you say oh you know gee lou can you can you relax a little bit i'm sure you'd be like 
something, yeah. right? Yeah. I don't well, know if I could do that. That's the struggle, yeah. You want to, yep. but it's the fight between what you know and what you've trained yourself to do versus the learning of something new that you would trust. Right. That would actually, because the threat generation, hey, it's protected you. You believe it's protected you. You know, it, you know, you thought about it enough and then nothing bad happened. So therefore, if you didn't think about it enough, would that really happen or would you not be prepared? Well, in the, uh, in previous, in the past, I was the fish in the water. I didn't realize I was in water. I was just threat generating all the time because that's how life was. Right. But now with my awareness of it, I can step back from it and I can say, okay, calm down because you're probably working this into something that it isn't. Right. And, and and I think that, I mean, that's such a common experience for most people and <clears throat> most of my clients. I mean, people worry all the time about worry about worry, meta worry, yep. worry about worry about worry. And we don't have something to worry about. You should worry about that. Yep. You know, so I try. <laughs> yeah, so, no, it's yeah. true. So I try to get people to see that and then sort of see the humor, the levity in the the pattern and then be able to say, even if the, the, the worst thing is going to happen, like it's still not end of the world like the things that i mean i can only think of maybe a handful of things in all my years of practice that i would say well that thing might be a problem right but by and large for every single person i see kid all the way up to 90 something years old the end of the day the problems that people are generating in their head for they worry about worry about worry yeah even if that worst thing occasionally does happen nothing bad it's not and usually that worst thing would need to be the result of a thousand different Right. Pivot points, and it would all have to have gone wrong. Right. Yeah. Right. And then, and I think that uh, to make a point about that whole that whole process too is, so many people worry about not necessarily the thing that's going to happen. There's a piece under almost all of these things. It's what is so and so going to think? What is my committee going to think if this happens? It's not about maybe the thing. So, you know, I, you know, I, I missed the play and, you know, sports, I missed the play and I ruined the game and whatever. And that you would think, oh, that's the thing because it's about the person. No, no. It's about what the fans are going to think, what my wife or my husband is going to think, what my kids are going to think. We're going to be talking about this at my 20 year reunion, this play. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And that's, and that's, and that's the thing that's plaguing a person in the moment, in the present right then. And you're thinking, what a waste of time. Yeah, exactly. What a waste of time for you to have to, to do that when you could be thinking about if the gaming is lost, you know what? It's life is going to move. It's not the end. You're a high school kid. You're going to get a pat on the back from your dad. Life's right. going to go on. Right. Yeah. And sometimes they don't. Sometimes kids don't get the pat on the back, Lou. You know, sometimes yep. you, I, have, I mean, I have coaches that are parents and coaches together, and they're brutal on their kids. And, and that's a whole another piece that you have to go. But at the end of the day, it's still like when I'm working with a kid that has a parent like that or a coach, I'm like, this will pass. Yep. And it's not that this will pass. It's this will pass because... It will. This is how life goes. Right. It's going to move. And if you look at it that the per- the coach is <laughs> overly invested or that they, they're living through you. And I'm very honest with kids that have parents like that. And, yeah. and most of the parents that come in, if they were willing to, I'll say you're overinvested in your kid. Yep. You're making too much pressure around this. You need to back away. Um, and most people are good about that. Because of the way I, I couch it, you yeah. know, but I'm not a sugarcoater. I mean, if I see it, I call it because. But again, the... making them aware of what they're doing right. helps them deal with right. it. Right. Without being like, you yeah. know, it's not like a double barrel gun. It's yeah. it's about this is the problem. Because I'm it's... guessing sometimes they look at you and go, oh, yeah, I yeah. see what you're talking about. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and I and I and I gauge it on the personality of the parent, especially if they're 
hot under the collar kind of thing, or if they're really kind of not, um, which isn't typical. It's usually hot under the collar dads who, you know, yep. want to fight to the end and they're going to, they're every, by the way, every child is going to be an Olympian. Oh, every yeah. child's going to make the NBA, yep. the NFL. The <laughs> so, you Done know, enough and, coaching and, the reality, and officiating, I know everybody's, everybody's a pro. In right. The and the reality yeah. checks on that. So, you know, when people come in and they have their seven and eight year old and they're like, and they missed the play. And I'm like, But unfortunately, not everyone's going to become a pro, and I think a lot of people have a grasp on that. But unfortunately, the thing is also, this kid's got to get a scholarship. I can't afford his college. This kid's got to put the work in. He's got to to do well. He's got to get some money here. Right. Or this isn't going to work. Right. Yeah, and that's that's too much pressure on everybody. Right. All right, contact information because you've got to go to work. I do. I have to go to work. Now I have to go to work (laughs) and do work work. Um, My contact information, um, you can reach me at kim.lannon at yahoo.com or go to my gameface website or call me at the number on the bottom of the screen yep well very good and you got yeah. that already yeah just refer him to the to the bottom of the screen all right and uh look for our podcast on uh, your daily game face on facebook yes you can find past episodes when there are past episodes this is the first but there'll be more yes all right all we'll right. talk to you next time yeah 